Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We read a section from our gospel lesson again this morning. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not need repentance. We pray. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow redeemed. Again, um, we will focus on the Lord's Supper, but we can use our gospel lesson as an introduction to the Lord's Supper. We have been found. We are those sheep who once were lost, but now are, are found. We live in repentance and faith, and we want to make sure that we continue to live in repentance and faith. And it's not an easy thing to do, and so God has given us those means by which he can sustain us in the true faith, and one of those obviously is and clearly is the Lord's Supper. Again, a, a brief summary of where we've been with the Lord's Supper the last couple of weeks. Why is there the Lord's Supper? Well, it's there because we are sinners. Uh, in this small catechism again, it's the body and blood of Christ given and shed for us for the remission of our sins. And where there is remission or forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. And then I also, uh, the first week, talked about the history of every Sunday communion. Every time the Christians would gather together, their early church at the time of the apostles uh, partook of the Lord's Supper. Same thing with the early Christian church in the first centuries. Same thing with the Lutheran church at the time of the Reformation. Luther never would have imagined a service without offering uh, the Lord's Supper to those who wanted to receive it. Uh, and then we come to America, though, where there was just kind of a loss of this every Sunday communion, and it happened for several reasons. One is that there were not enough pastors, and sometimes the Lutheran churches looked to other churches that were not Lutheran and, and uh, followed their lead, which was not correct. And then it just became, became normal among us. But we have seen in the recent uh, couple decades more and more Lutheran churches going back to every Sunday communion. One of the things I also shared with you that uh, first sermon a couple weeks ago was that Luther emphasized not only the forgiveness of sins, but he also said, here's why you need to receive it frequently. You've got these enemies. You've got not only your sin, your, your flesh, but you also have the world. And you also not, you not only have the world, but you also have Satan. Now, we are biblical Christians, and so we understand life from this perspective, that these enemies are very real, and we need great strength 
to withstand them in this life. Today, I want to have us uh, consider the Lord's Supper from the perspective of our neighbor. A number of years ago, uh, a man said to me, I really don't think the Lord's Supper every Sunday does much for me. Actually, I think he said it does. He thinks it does nothing for me, were his exact words. And I didn't say anything to him at that point, and and all of a sudden he realized that there wasn't something quite right with what he was saying, and so he withdrew his his statement. Uh, And if I would have said something to him, I would have said, you know, who determines whether or not the Lord's Supper really benefits you? Is it you? Is it how you feel? How you see things? Or is it Christ himself who said, this is my body and blood given and shed for you for the remission of sins? That's really what we need to know. If Christ says it benefits us, then it benefits us, regardless of how we might feel on any particular given Sunday or time we receive the sacrament. Christ's words determine what it is and what it does for us, that it does, in fact, benefit us. But um, another way I I could have responded to this statement made by this man a number of years ago, it really does nothing for me, I could have said something like, well, what about your neighbor? What about your neighbor? Maybe it doesn't do anything for you, but what about your neighbor? Does it do anything for your neighbor? And there are a couple different kinds of neighbors I'd like to address today. Uh, The first one would be our guest neighbor. The neighbor who shows up here who's not a member of our church or our fellowship. He or she is just a guest that comes to church for whatever reason. And uh, the difficulty, as it's sometimes pointed out, is that we have this practice called close communion. It's also called closed communion because we do close it off uh, to those who are not of our, our fellowship. And the question is, is raised, should we be doing this? Isn't it kind of wrong in some sense to offend these people with our practice of close or closed communion? So why do we, why do we have this? Well, first of all, we have it because Scripture tells us that if a person does not come properly prepared to receive the Lord's Supper, if he doesn't come acknowledging his sin, if he doesn't come realizing that the body and blood of Christ are truly present, that he, in fact, then eats and drinks judgment to himself. It will not benefit him. It will actually harm him. And we, want, we do not want people coming here harming themselves if we, don't, if we can prevent them from harming themselves. But there's something else going on here, too, with our close communion. It's uh, expressing a unity, a unity in teaching, a unity in doctrine. You know, consider the alternative to close communion, open communion, or something in between, you might say. Actually, there are very, very few churches that actually practice open 
communion in the purest sense of the word. There are some churches will say, hey, anybody can come up here. We don't care what you believe, what religion you belong to. You can even bring your dog up here for communion, okay? True open communion. Very few churches practice that. Almost all churches have some sort of uh, standard by which they determine whether or not a person should come up for a communion. They say, well, at least you have to be Christian. And a lot of churches have other standards in place, too. But we have our standard, and we believe it's a biblical standard. And our standard is unity in the teaching of God's word. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, be perfectly united. It's implied also when uh, he talks about the communion later on, that we come up here, we confess together the Lord's death. It doesn't, doesn't mean that he died, but it means much more than everything connected with the crucifixion, the blood atonement of Christ, we are to agree on so we can confess that death properly together. And so we are expressing a, a unity in doctrine. And in, by doing so, we, we protect the doctrine of the word of God. And, you know, we're not the only church body that, that has this close communion policy. The Wisconsin Synod does. The Missouri Synod has basically the same close communion policy that we do. A number of other churches do. Churches throughout the history of the wor world, especially the early Christian church, used to practice close communion. Um, so let me just give you uh, one example. Um, and the point I'm trying to make here is that this is our practice, and we should not apologize for it. It is there to protect uh, the teachings we subscribe to that we say are found in Scripture. So a number of years ago, when I was a pastor in Minnesota, uh, one of my members uh, didn't like the idea that her mother couldn't come to communion at our church. Her mother was a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And it was a dear elderly mother, and I really uh, cherished and loved her, but I said, sorry, you're, you're of a different uh, fellowship than we are. But her daughter was very upset with me and uh, started to raise the question more and more, why not, why not, why not? And so finally what I did is I, I called um, her mother's pastor, Missouri Center pastor, I said, uh, and I, the reason I called her, I, let me back up. Our member was able to go to her mother's church and commune there. The Missouri Synod pastor allowed her, my member, to commune at his church. So I called the, the pastor. I said, you know, you're causing some problems for me at my church here. And uh, by allowing my member to commune at your church. And immediately he said, please forgive me. He knew right away that he had violated his own church practice. And he went on to say that the reason we have this practice in place is to protect the true doctrine. And even though we're close, we're not quite together on all our doctrines. So he understood that. And we should understand that too. And make no apologies for the fact that we have close communion here. Um, Will we offend people with close communion? Yeah, we will. But uh, offense is not necessarily wrong on our part. You know, we, 
We confess that we are Christians. Some people will be, will be offended by that. Should we apologize or not confess that? Of course not. We learn in Scripture that the gospel of Christ is offensive to the unbeliever, but we don't refrain from administering the gospel to us here in word and other ways throughout our service and throughout our lives. But let me, let me now go to the uh, second kind of neighbor. We have the guest neighbor, but then we also have the church neighbor. And that uh, church neighbor is very, very important to us. There will always be a member or members here who have had to bear more heavily a burden of sin this last week than maybe the rest of us. There will always be members here who have had to face the burden of the world more than others here. There will always be members here over the last week who have been targeted by Satan more than the others here. This person is our neighbor. And that person very likely desires that Sunday to have the sacrament of the altar. And we may say to ourselves, well, he can receive the gospel in the absolution, which is true. He can, and he should. But also keep in mind that sometimes people may, for whatever reason, and no criticism here of anybody, sometimes people come in late and they miss the absolution. And there's the gospel and the sermon, of course, too, so it's there. But also keep in mind that sometimes with people who are very burdened because of sin or because of the world or because of Satan have a greater difficulty concentrating and hearing as clearly as they should. And so they might miss the gospel that is spoken. But it's really hard to miss the gospel that is administered in the sacrament of the altar. This is my body, Jesus says. This is my blood, Jesus says. Given and shed for you for the remission of sins. Take, eat. It's right there in the mouth. The body and blood of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins. The gospel is there. Several years ago, um, a man who had been counseling... uh, came to church, um, and uh, he was greatly burdened by what was going on in his life, greatly burdened. And I preached the sermon, and something clicked in what I said during the sermon. And then we came to the Lord's Supper, and he literally ran halfway up to the altar to receive the Lord's Supper. So we... We love our neighbor, knowing that that neighbor of ours may, in fact, desire 
the sacrament more than we, we know at that time. Let me bring up one more point today regarding the Lord's Supper. And the question can be asked this way. Is there anything going on in the world today that suggests more frequent communion is needed or at least a good idea? The reality is that we are leaving a Christian culture behind with ease and speed. The polls indicate this. With all that is going on in society, in the schools, and government, and businesses, and media, especially social media, with all the temptations that are out there, perhaps like never before in our country, with the growing number of non-Christians, according to the polls again, and the lessening of Christians in society. The life of the Christian is under a challenge that we just haven't experienced, perhaps here in our country before. Maybe we have, but it's, it's here now, definitely. You know, who would have imagined 40 years ago that a marriage could be between anybody but a man and a woman. You know, 40 years ago, the, the vast majority of people said, yeah, it's a man and a woman. Today, it's completely flip-flopped, according to the polls. Who would have imagined 30 years or 10 years ago that a man could be a woman and a woman could be a man or a boy a girl and a girl a boy? Again, in just a few years, things have just flip-flopped. You know, plus, we're told that we are to affirm these new changes. And if we don't uh, affirm them, we can easily be labeled as bigoted, or we can be silenced, or we can be canceled, yeah, or we can be even fired from a job we may have. So we do find ourselves in situations where we are afraid to state even the most obvious truths today. And so there is pressure, tremendous pressure, to compromise on certain truths, and that eventually leads to a denial of Christ himself. There is what we could call a soft persecution going on today in our country. We don't have necessarily people being thrown in jail, although that's questionable. We don't have people putting, being put to death as martyrs in our country, but we do have a soft persecution among us, which is very real. And at this point, we don't see any let up. There may be. I mean, God may have mercy and allow a more tolerant attitude to be taken towards Christianity. That'd be wonderful. But, uh, I don't see that in the near future, but it may happen. But a soft persecution can easily lead to a harder persecution where people are 
thrown in jail or even put to death because they confess Christ or confess other Christian truths. It can happen. And so we need help. We need divine help. We need grace and strength for ourselves and our other Christian neighbors. And where do we find such strength and grace and help? We find it in the gospel. We find it in the gospel in both word and sacrament. We find it in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. You know, it's not, it's good to be aware of what's going on and to say this is true and this is false. This is of God and this is of Satan. It's good to know those things, but we still need to receive grace and strength so that we can endure what is going on right now and what might take place in the future, including that time when a hard persecution comes upon us. So I'm going to share with you a quotation I shared with you a number of months ago. This is um, the uh, bishop by the name of Cyprian. He was a Christian bishop in, in Carthage in the early centuries of Christianity. And persecution was rising at that time, and, and Cyprian saw what was coming, and he saw the martyrdom that was going to be coming for him and others, and he was actually martyred then himself. So he wrote something uh, that Martin Luther quoted, yeah. And he wrote this to another bishop. He said, We must equip those whom we wish to be safe against the adversary with the armor of the Lord's food. For how shall we teach or incite them or incite them to shed their blood in the confession of his name if we deny them Christ's blood when they are about to fight? Or how can we make them fit for the cup of martyrdom if we do not first admit them to drink in the church the cup of the Lord by the right communion? So we must not ever underestimate the gospel in both word and sacrament for our help, for our comfort, for our strength. And so, prepared to come to the Lord's Supper is essential. We have to come realizing our sin, realizing the world is often against us, realizing that Satan is always against us and trying to do whatever he can to undermine our Christian faith. We need that divine help. We need to come to the Lord's Supper, confessing the reality of our sins, confessing the real presence of the body and blood of Christ, realizing that they are really there for the forgiveness of our sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.